Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. بَلْ نَقْذِفُ بِالْحَقِّ عَلَى الْبَاطِلِ فَيَدْمَغُهُ فَإِذَا هُوَ زَاهِقٌ وَلَكُمُ الْوَيْلُ مِمَّا تَصِفُونَ Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh In this presentation I hope to demonstrate how we can refute the various assertions made in favor of LGBT by understanding this, it will give us the appreciation of the need for divine guidance to determine what is right and what is wrong. Briefly, I will touch upon the impact of, LG of the LGBT campaign on Muslims, the false arguments they present, a refutation of these arguments, touch on the fact that this is something that originates from the Western creed and is not an aberration of it, and finally explain that only the Quran and Sunnah can be a source of guidance and not logic, nature or human inclinations. So the issue at hand. Now, Muslim youth are facing discussions about LGBT at school and, and, not, and even Islamic schools are exposing their children to LGBT values. And this campaign is supported by legislation and is promoted not just in schools, but also in the workplaces. This campaign on the one hand wishes to normalize the LGBT lifestyle and equate it with legitimate struggles uh, by other groups who are discriminated against on the basis of race or religion. Here's just some example of where Islamophobia and homophobia is conflated and you find Muslims championing the LGBT cause, uh, thinking that by supporting this group who are discriminated against, somehow it will help the Muslim cause in fighting against discrimination. We also find that children at a very young age are exposed to LGBT material in schools. Uh, some years ago, my children, when they were at an Islamic primary school, the police came there on the pretext of talking about bullying and said to the children, sometimes God can make a mistake. He can put a boy in a girl's body and a girl in a boy's body. So how do we address this? We could ignore it. We could mock it. Or we could try and understand their assertions, challenge them and refute them. The Kalima teaches us an important lesson of La ilaha illallah. There is no God. There is nothing worthy of worship. Illallah, except Allah. So you have to refute the assertion or the values a person holds onto, then assert your value with the proof and argument why that is right. Otherwise, just quoting hadith and ayah without refuting the assertions made by LGBT is going to have minimal effect on the Muslim youth. So Ibrahim alayhi salam uh, was challenging the king of his time. <laughs> So King Nimrud claimed that he could give life and death. So Ibrahim said to him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
brings the sun from the east, so you bring it from the you bring it from the west. And he was dumbfounded. So he challenged him and he refuted his claim that no, you are not a creator, you are not God. So we need to understand the false LGBT arguments so as to rebuild confidence in the Quran and the Sunnah. So how are they? Uh, how is LGBT presented and what are their assertions? So I'm going to touch on four points here. Uh, first is the issue of minority rights. So the LGBT community view themselves as a community that is discriminated against, just like the Muslims, blacks, Jews and other uh, communities. And so they demand the same sort of respect and protection like any other community. Another assertion is it's natural. Some animals are gay. You can find homosexual behavior in the animal world. And there are examples of giraffes, uh, monkeys, fishes, and various other types of animals that demonstrate homosexual activity. And even transgenderism, they will show you examples from the nature where a particular animal will be born in one gender and later on in life, it will change its gender from male to female. Uh, so there are many examples in nature which will show that homosexuality is natural. Another assertion is it's about freedom. What two consenting adults do in the privacy of their home is nobody's business. Uh, it doesn't harm anybody else. So why should other people object to it? They're not asking other people to become gay. So why should other people object to it? So this is another assertion that they make. And finally, they say people are born gay. God made them like that. So why should anybody object to that? It was not their choice. It was not of their choosing. Rather, it was something which is in their DNA. And so people should accept them for what they are. So let's look at the first one, minority rights. This term actually obfuscates the real issue. What it actually obfuscates or hides is the fact that what you are, when you call for minority rights, what you are actually accepting or giving da'wah to is that secular liberal values will determine who has a legitimate right and who does not. So accepting man the minority rights framework means you accept secular liberalism to be the basis to determine who or what is worthy of having rights. So a woman's right to wear hijab is equal to a woman's right not to, to wear the bikini. LGB rights are equal to Muslim rights. And this is a dangerous game because if you accept this framework that as long as we can be Muslims and other people can be whatever they like and we accept that, you are actually undermining you are undermining the whole concept of Amr bil ma'ruf wa nahi anil munkar of enjoining what is good and forbidding what is bad. And we say Allah alone is the one who determines the rights and wrong and not human beings or any ideological framework uh, made by man. Um, another one is it, it is natural. Some animals are gay. The refutation of this well, what is natural for a bird is not natural for a cat. And what is natural for a cat is not natural for a fish. So to extrapolate the behavior of animals to the humans is nonsensical. Some animals lick their private parts to clean themselves. It's natural for an animal, not for a human. Some animals eat their young. They'll kill their young and eat them. It's natural for them, not for humans. 
Some animals uh, eat their own excrement. It's natural for them, not for humans. So you cannot extrapolate the nature of an animal to the nature of man. And this is nonsensical. Animals are not the guide for human beings. Animal behavior is natural to them and it's not natural for a human being. So this whole argument is nonsensical. You can provide five million examples of where you find homosexuality in nature. Yes, it might be natural for animals, but that doesn't mean it's natural for human beings. Freedom. What two consenting adults do is no one else's business. Well, consent alone doesn't determine legitimacy. If two adults consent to kill each other, it doesn't make it right. For example, in law, in Britain, if two companies wish to merge, one makes an offer, the other makes an acceptance. It doesn't make it legitimate until the government intervenes and the Monopolist Commission check uh, the merger before it is agreed upon. So just because two companies want to merge doesn't make it right. Here in Britain, for example, if a mother consents to having a relationship with a man and that, that, mother, that man happens to be her son, it is illegal because incest is illegal. So consent there alone doesn't legitimize something. If a father wishes to have a relationship with another man that happens to be his adult son, the consent alone doesn't make it right. It's still um, uh, incestuous. So the point here is consent alone doesn't legitimize an act. So I hope that point is clear. Uh, but the more important issue relating to this is it's a private action. Well, it's not a private action. If it was a private action and people committed sin or people committed whatever acts they did in the privacy of their home and the public are protected from that, then that's fine. Nobody should really interfere in that. And it's not their right to go into other people's private lives. But this is not private. This is affecting the values of society. When the government is pushing LGBT through law, through schools and through the workplace, it's no longer private, it's public. When they pass legislation, it's public. When you've got campaigns and projects across the schools and workplaces, it's not private, it's public. And when you've got legislation equalizing single-sex marriage and legitimizing um, LGBT lifestyle, it's no longer private, it's public and it affects society. And how does it affect society? Well, the values, secular values, and the LGBT values, just one value of, uh, of secular values, um, reduces, for example, lower birth rate. If fewer people are getting married and fewer people are having children, you're going to have a lower birth rate. And this is an effect which is alive in the Western world. There is a, there is a, uh, a negative growth of population in many of the Western European countries. So when you've got fewer children being born, you've got the demographic triangle changing where you've got more older people than younger people. So the taxation which is collected is not sufficient to look after the elderly. And we are feeling those problems today in the West. A bigger tax burden and an increase of the retirement age is another effect of this. And if you've got families which are not uh, traditional families with a father figure and a mother figure, it has a psychological impact. And there are other factors as well, which I accept about capitalist factors, which means both mother and father are working and there's nobody to look after the kids and they get institutionalized with childcare. That has an effect, but that's a different discussion. But the point is these values have an effect on society and they affect society. So, for example, in the West now, 
They're trying to they're talking about increasing taxes further to look after the elderly. They're talking about increasing taxation on property of the elderly to pay for their care when they get old. So you cannot say that the social values, LGBT being one of them, does not affect society. It absolutely affects society. And we are facing problems in the West, which were never faced before, directly because of the social values of which LGBT is one of many of those values. And this is a problem with Western liberalism, because liberalism focuses on the individual's right to enjoy themselves and the individual's right uh, in, uh, at the expense of the right of the society. Islam, on the other hand, balances the right of the individual and the right of the society. And the hadith here of An-Nu'man uh, bin Bashir, who reported that the Prophet said, Society is like a, a ship where you've got people on the upper deck and the lower deck. And then the people on the lower deck, when they want water, they have to inconvenience the people at the upper deck to get the water in a bucket and pass it down to them. Now, if some bright spark on the lower deck decides to drill a hole in the boat, the people on the upper deck cannot say, oh, this has got nothing to do with us. No, they have to forbid them because if they do not forbid them, the whole boat will sink. Meaning if there is corruption in society and it's not forbidden, the whole society will be affected by it. So the third claim that they are born that way, God made them like that. It's in their DNA. Well, first and foremost, there is absolutely no scientific consensus. It is just a claim. Now, for argument's sake, let's say people are born gay. Let's say somebody is born gay. What difference does that make? If you have an inclination to do something, that necessarily doesn't make it right. You know, a thief can claim I'm born that way. Pedophiles actually claim the same thing. Zoophiles or people who uh, have relationship with animals, they use the same uh, argument, we are born this way. And these are not just lunatics. Professors in universities are now making these, uh, having these discussions that maybe pedophiles are also born that way. It's in their DNA. It's natural to them. So God made them like that. So the point is here is, just because you feel something, it doesn't make it right. Naturally, a man is attracted to the woman. That's natural. It's normal. But that doesn't legitimize zina. It doesn't legitimize the need for having a girlfriend. It doesn't legitimize having extramarital relationships just because you have an inclination and LGBT is a consequence of the secular liberal creed so it's not an aberration of it it actually emanates from the fundamental values of Western philosophy who focus which focuses upon the individual rights to to seek happiness and uh, um, enjoyment uh, or if you, if you want to use the word of utilitarianism, i.e. they need to be able to enjoy themselves, they need to be able to benefit. So this is not a new phenomenon that we're seeing now about the LGBT campaign. Even in the 70s and 80s, there were campaigns to normalize this. Uh, for example, in America, there's an organization which exists, which is called NAMBLA, North American Men's and Boys Lovers Association. In the UK, you have the PI, the Pedophile Information Exchange, uh, and both of these are pressure groups trying to legitimize pedophilia. And uh, even Harriet Harman um, tried to reduce the age of consent down to 12 in the 70s. And the, the, PIEC, the pedophile information exchange said at the time, we would like to abolish it. We would like to abolish 
the age of consent, but the public is not ready, so we would like to reduce it to 12. Um, zoophilia, as we know, is not illegal in some European countries. And this is because how do you determine right and wrong? If you exclude divine guidance, then all you are left with is benefit and pleasure. And how can you argue against that? And this is a problem that the West is having, because if this becomes the source of determining right and wrong, then everything can be legitimized and everything can be made illegal based on benefit or based on pleasure. For example, let's look at the problem of this logical argument. Why is sex with animals wrong? The current thinking is, ah, that's because they cannot consent. Well, okay. Which is a bigger crime, murder or rape? And you'll find that in most legal codes around the world, murder has a bigger sentence than rape. So when you murder an animal to make a kebab or you murder an animal to make a burger, do you ask for his consent? No, you don't. So if you don't ask for his consent when you murder it, why do you need his consent if you want to rape it? Logical argument. And it shows you the fallacy of using logic. And it shows you the fallacy of a human being being in a position to determine what is right and wrong. Let's look at another example. Why is it wrong to have relationship with children? Ah, because they cannot consent. Do you ask for their consent when you ask them to eat vegetables? When you ask them to go to bed? When you ask them to go to school? When you ask them to do the homework? There are so many things that you do with your children. You don't ask for their consent, but as a parent, you you, you, you feel it's your responsibility to, responsibility to do what is in their best interest. So if you as an adult believe it's in their best interest for their sexual development, why have you got a problem with that? Which is why if you lead, if you leave, sorry, uh, uh, the, the issue of making right and wrong to the mind or to your benefit or to, uh, to other interests, or to man-made ideologies, you are going to end up with, uh, 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 with problems. So you need divine guidance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Have you seen those people who have taken their desires as God? So if you use your own desires or your inclinations to determine what is right and wrong, you will never be able to achieve that because that is the right of Allah. He alone knows what is right and wrong. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says in the Quran, وَعَسَىٰ أَن تَقْرَهُ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَعَسَىٰ أَن تُحِبُّ شَيْئًا وَهُوَ شَرٌ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ And perhaps you hate a thing, but it's good for you. And perhaps you love a thing, it's bad for you. Allah knows, you know not. So our desires are not a basis for determining right and wrong. Because if you use your mind, like I said already, you can, you can just about legitimize anything and you can just about make anything forbidden. For example, you can say from the mind that alcohol should be forbidden. You say it's bad for your health, it's bad for society, causes violence, causes, causes harm to the NHS, you know, something like six billion pounds extra each year due to alcohol abuse. Um, and you can, you can construct an argument to say alcohol is bad for society, ban it. And that's a good argument. But on the flip side, you can make an equally strong argument to say alcohol should never be forbidden because alcohol generates so much taxation for a society that if you ban alcohol, you will have a, you will have a huge decrease in the tax revenue. How are you going to run the hospitals, the police, the roads and everything else? 
If you ban alcohol, suddenly lots of people have lost their jobs. If you ban alcohol, lots of sporting events can't take place because they are sponsored by alcohol businesses. So when you look at it from that perspective, ah, how can you ban alcohol? Now, this is the problem because the human mind, depending on where his, where his benefit or his interest is, he can construct an argument to legitimize or to delegitimize something. Therefore, this should show you that man is unable to know what is right and wrong. We have senses. We can sense the real world, but you cannot sense with your senses what is right and what is wrong. That is determined not by the actual object. It is determined by a basis that you refer to. Because an action you do is not a thing. An action you do of like stabbing somebody, you know, is an action. Is that right or wrong? Well, if you stab somebody, an innocent person, that's wrong. But if you're in part of an army in a battlefield and you stab your enemy, that's not a bad thing. The act is exactly the same. But your criterion will determine whether it's right or wrong. Therefore, the simple point here is a human being is unable to know what is right and wrong. And therefore, the need for divine guidance to guide human beings. So what can we do? Or what must we do? Like I said earlier, the Shahada teaches a lesson of refutation followed by affirmation. And this is an excellent opportunity for us to demonstrate to the wider society that, look, logic, science, nature, these things cannot be used to determine right and wrong. You need divine guidance. So we need to immunize our communities, first and foremost, against the uh, the storm of liberal values which are being which are being which is raining down upon our kids and our communities and confusing many and not understanding uh, what's going on so it's 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 the duty of the people who lead our communities the ulama to take a stand and educate our uh, uh, our communities about islam about these fundamental values of islam um and this is part and parcel of the prevent agenda to secularize Islam in Muslim. So it is no surprise that way back in 2007, I think it was, sorry, 2005, if I'm not mistaken, where Tony Blair equated calling homosexuality a sin, uh, uh, equated that with terrorism. Because for them, this is the battle. The battle here is not about violence or terrorism. The battle is here is to secularize Islam. And this is something we need to Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.